morning, church. I got to admit, I, uh, I toiled over this one. Oh, before I forget, where's Alamine? This is Alamine's last Sunday with us. I know, I know. In search, sad emoji here. He will be going to the Atlanta church, right? To help out. So as he leaves... We ask, we ask that you bless him, um, pray for him. We know God will continue to use him. Amen? Amen. But I was saying I, I, I toyed over this one. I, I was trying to figure out exactly how to attack it. It's so central to who we are as a church. And so we've been talking about Jesus in action. Um, and so today, specifically, we're going to talk about Jesus and the lost. Um, it's always slightly disconcerting for me to stand in front of you like this. And again, I say this not because I'm afraid of you guys because you're a family. Um, y'all, you're a good-looking bunch. You're not scary in any way. Um, and then there are even folks on YouTube, and it's exciting because, like, my mom's watching right now, and <laughs> hey, Ma, and uh, my brother-in-law, Jeremy's watching. What's going on, sir? And, you know, there's people all over, and I, and I love that. But... It's a little disconcerting because I, I know that I never want to get, away, get in the way of God's word. And so I say this every time I speak to you, is that then so I won't, I'll die. And I'll do that right now. Let's bow our heads. Most gracious God, our Father, I humbly come before you, Master. I thank you and I bless your name. God, you are worthy of any and everything that we bestow in your name. God, you are an amazing God, and we love you. God, as I attempt to break the bread of life today, God, I ask that um, you use me, that it's your will, your words, not mine, that you speak today, oh God. God, hide me behind the cross so there is less and less of me and more and more of you until there is none of me and all of you. God, we bless your name and we glorify you. Be pleased today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. All right, so got a lot. We're going to jump right in it. Uh, Luke 19. We're going to start with the first verse. And Jesus, and he, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking, someone's already laughing, that's part of the sermon. Uh, and, he, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and received him joy, joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham, 
And for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So whenever I personally study the Bible, I always like to look at the cultural context. I want to know what's going on in the world, in that region, around the time that the author is writing so I can understand the backstory. There's always a backstory, right? Um, and so next slide. And so it says, and he entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. So during this time, the Romans occupied Jerusalem. The Roman general Pompey conquered Jerusalem in 63 BC, uh, and the Romans kicked out the Hasmonean dynasty uh, of Judea, and so that dynasty had been in power since 140 BC. And so it's important to understand that that dynasty was blossoming and blooming, right? So under the Hasmonean dynasty, Jerusalem was growing and the regions around them were experiencing prosperity. And so the Roman Senate came out and kicked out the Jerusalem leadership and planted in King Herod. Now, King Herod was cruel, power hungry, and a murderer. I'm talking about mass genocide. So the fact that Zacchaeus was a tax collector on the behalf of the Jews, I mean, on behalf of the Romans, he taxed the Jews was a problem he was considered a traitor. Now, on top of that, the Bible says that Zacchaeus was rich. How do you think he became rich? <laughs> he, he was a crook. So not only you are a traitor, but you're a crooked traitor. Right, imagine, imagine someone coming in when everything is great. So not only are you gonna take my money and give it to the conquerors, you're gonna take my money, some more of my money, and put it in your pocket? I'm surprised they didn't put hands on it, right? <laughs> then if you go down and then, uh, next slide. Go down to verse five. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, well, before I go to verse five, I wanna point out something. Now, there's a parallel in voice, verses 3 and 4. And he was seeking, um, and he, Zacchaeus, was seeking to, who Jesus, seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. Um, I put a note in here to, to parallel that to today. There are some folks who, knowingly or unknowingly, seeking to see Jesus, but the world is too large for them to see him. The world is just too big. And so what I want to do today is talk to you about how we bring Jesus to the forefront to these folks. Amen? Then also, I like the fact that this man was like, this is just a side note, I'll climb a tree to see Jesus. So my question for you is, what would you do to see Jesus? So, uh, Zacchaeus hurried, come down, I must stay at your house tonight. So he hurried and came down and he received him joyfully because he got what he wanted. 
And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. So being a guest is a big deal. Receiving someone as a guest during this time was a big deal. Uh, you guys may remember that when I spoke to you last time, we talked about worship. And so all of the region would come to Jerusalem to worship. And so the hotels couldn't always hold everyone. So folks would actually build extra compartments to their home called guest chambers. And who you had in your home was important. It says something about who you were, the clout you hold, all of that. So the fact that Jesus would honor this man by being his guest. This is a man that was reviled on a very visceral level. Like during this time, if they didn't like you and you walked by, they would spit at your feet. So I can imagine that's something that happened to him all the time. And so not only that, but when you are a guest somewhere, there are even portions of the Bible that tells you how to be a good guest, right? Because that's how important it is, the having people into your home, biblically, right? We ourselves talk about how we have folks and show hospitality. So not only is Jesus honoring this man, but the son of God himself is humbling himself to allow this sinner to host him at his house. The reason why, though, is because he had a point. He wanted to break the cultural context of the time. Next slide, please. And Zacchaeus stood and said to him, said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Since he is also a son of Abraham, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Before Jesus said that, what did he say to him? Nothing. Nothing. That tells me that sometimes just being in the presence of Jesus can inspire change. So my question to you is, do you give people the opportunity to see and experience Jesus in your daily interactions? How does your presence impact the lives of others. In sports, next slide. In sports, we often say the best ability is availability, right? Because you could be the most talented ball player on earth, but if you stay injured, Anthony Davis, um, I didn't say that, I didn't say that. <laughs> I started to say a name that's a little more personal, but I was like, yeah, it's too soon still. <laughs> so we already know who I was thinking about and it doesn't mean anything. And it's no different in discipleship. Being present, being available is important. There's a song I love says, Lord, I'm available to you. My hands, my will, I give to you. And so have you made yourself available to display the love of God? Or have you relegated yourself to the bench because folks can't see Christ when they see you. The, the lost need to see a living Christ. Not rules and religion. 
I was, uh, I was walking at Glenwood Arts Festival. And as we were walking, me and my family, and uh, I saw on the ground written, God sees the heart of man. So I was like, great. Then it said, repent. I was like, ah, a missed opportunity. It's a missed opportunity to tell someone that Jesus loves them, that God loves them. I can't speak for anyone else, but it was the love of God that changed my life. It was the love of God that made me want to repent, right? I stopped doing what I used to do, not because someone told me to, but because I knew that what I did hurt God. If, if, if my wife and I are together and she can't stand to be cursed around and I'm constantly cursing, just she's going to eventually, he can't love me the way he says, amen? It's the same thing with God. You stop doing what you do, not because these are the rules written in the book. You stop doing what you do because you want to show God you love him. Amen? Amen. So this is not the only time that God, next slide, that Jesus visited the despised, the folks we don't quite get along with. So we have the Samaritan woman at the well, right? As a reminder, we talked about this once before, but the Israelites fell out so hard with the Samaritans that they were no longer even considered Jews. They fell out so hard with the Samaritans that they would literally go around Samaria, even though it was direct, a direct line, you know, to get from point A to point B. That's like Mike stays, I'm not going to tell you, but it's Mike stays southeast. I'm not going to tell you. Most of y'all know where Mike stays. I stay northeast. That's like Mike going to Naperville, then to my house. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's how bad. And, and they didn't have cars, y'all. I'm talking about, so that's how despised they were. Yet and still, Jesus chose to reveal the mysteries surrounding the tearing of the veil, how you are to come to God, how you are to worship God to someone that most folks would even talk to. Think about it. The Roman centurion, right? We don't even look at the context usually of the Roman centurion, but think about it. The Roman centurion was brought there by the Romans to help occupy Jerusalem. Centurions are soldiers. And a leader of a Roman centurion leads about 6,000 soldiers. So we know that this man had at least 6,000 soldiers occupying the same area living in the same area of the folks in Jerusalem. And Jesus didn't hesitate to say, hey, I hadn't seen anyone with faith like yours in Israel. So he's saying to a Roman occupier that you show more faith than the Jews around you. Because Jesus didn't allow the cultural context to keep him from loving folks. Lepers, prostitutes, tax collectors, adulterers, the unclean by health, the unclean by law. Most folks would consider, most folks whom folks would consider enemies. Terry, Terry and I were talking before church today, 
and we were saying that y'all ain't got no enemies. So if you're praying that God crush your enemies and you're talking about the lady who stays in the cubicle next to you at work, that ain't your enemy. <laughs> that ain't your enemy. You need to see them the way Jesus would see them. That is simply a potential disciple that you hadn't shown enough Jesus to be converted. So I, I, I tell my 12-year-old all the time, don't drive like me all the time because I, I drive with a purpose. But how do you respond? Yeah, with a purpose. I drive like I got somewhere to be. Uh, how, <laughs> how do you respond in traffic? How do you respond when that person cuts you off? <laughs> oh, I hit a spot. I know Chicago's traffic is bad. I saw somebody go like this. Like, But do you allow the cultural context of today get in the way of how you treat and how you love people? Uh, just forgive me, I'm going to hurt some feelings. If you are more Democrat than Christian, you're wrong. If you're more Republican than Christian, you're wrong. I, the worship team was flexible with me. I asked them if they could change that song to end the kingdom because you should have a kingdom first mindset. You should be loving folks to life. Jesus treated them like the family they had the potential to, potential to become. I, uh, I struggled with today's world, I do. I, I, I truly do. And part of the reason is we have, we have some covert CIA Christians. And then we got those judgmental You're going to hell if you wear a skirt, if you don't wear a skirt. You, you know what I mean? We have these factions, and I repeatedly ask myself, where's the love? For a second, I started to play the Donny Hathaway Roberta Flack song. <laughs> but John 13, 34, and 35 says, a new commandment I give to you. Now, you got to remember that this is just before Jesus is about to die. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are so to a love to love one another. By this, people will know you are my disciples by the rules you follow. Is that what it says? By going to church every Sunday. By your love. I ask myself repeatedly, where's the love? Right? Not from the world. I don't expect it from the world. I'm talking about from us. How is it that we're falling out with each other? Even in the worst, most contemptuous situations, think about how Jesus responded. 
And that's where we should be going. How important is this to Jesus? I'm glad you asked. Millions of Jews would die, whether they were Christian or not. Then, preceding passages. So, Romans is one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite uh, books in the Bible, specifically Romans 8. And so, if you look at Romans 8 through 17, I mean, 8, 8 1 through 17, um, give me a second. The entire first time, first half of the chapter, Paul is telling you that we need to live life in the spirit. You got to be able to separate your flesh from your spirit. You have to be able to separate what you want to do, what your knee-jerk reaction to the world is, and apply that to the spirit. Anybody got any idea why? To quote Kevin Hart, it's about to go down. <laughs> 18 through 26, he's telling them it's about to go down. It's going to be rough. You're going to suffer. And he even says that the sufferings of this world won't be compared to the glory that will be revealed in you. Now, let's read 8 and 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are, call, who are called according to his purpose. Now, based on what I just told you, cultural context, who's talking, what's going on in the world, and then everything he said before that, does it sound like you're going to get a new Lexus? Does it sound like that's what that scripture is talking about? So let's figure out what that scripture is talking about. For we know that all things... Yes, that's pretty wrong. For we know, uh, sorry about that. For we, for we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. I want to focus on good. Good in Hebrew means tav. Funny thing about it, I talked to Mike yesterday, and he has this fancy software, and I spent hours, I mean hours, doing the word study. He like, oh yeah, that's right, man. <laughs> So I'm getting the logo software. Um, Tav is a very explosive word in the Hebrew language. It has many meanings. But to summarize it, Tav means something that fulfills the purpose for which is it created. It doesn't mean it's going to be pleasant. It means all things work together for the perfection and the completion of your purpose. If you love God and you do those things according to your purpose, it doesn't mean that everything is going to work out just the way you want it. Then it says, for God, for those God foreknew, he did predestine to be conformed in the image of his son. There's your answer right there. All things are working to do what? Conform you into the image of his son. That does not mean everything's going to work out just the way you want it. It doesn't. 
So let's put that in context. 